Hello, it's that time a week. Welcome back to the Jones Chronicles. I'm your host, Christina. Last week, we had crazy stories about people. This week, we're going to transition back to cults. We got three hella crazy stories to tell. So let's jump into it. Korea is the one East Asian nation that has adopted Christianity in any meaningful way, with around a third of the country practicing the faith. But with the adoption of Christianity, cultish sex will often come too. This seems to go hand in hand. I wonder why. Keep in mind, before Christianity, which is organized religion, there was disorganized religion, which was called paganism, which was around worshiping several gods instead of one. But the idea of being involved in a group with traditions and types of sacrifice playing with the mental the mental malleability of the acolytes of said religion they all do seem to follow a similar path in 1987 police in Seoul found the bodies of 33 members of a splinter group of the evangelical church of Korea bound and gagged in the attic of a factory the Oreyang training company who operated the site was owned by the cult's leader Park Sunja. She was on the run after swindling over eight million dollars from her followers. And here's also where the parallels continue. The faith is rewarded to the leaders of these cults in the form of collateral material wealth which is then used by these leaders for their own power and profit it was surmised that this was a case of murder suicide a common practice in doomsday cults the investigation into the Oriang Trading Company, however, uncovered a paper trail which led to the arrest and conviction of the evangel- evangelical church's overall leader, Yu Banyang Un. For fraud, by the way. How did all of this begin? Founded by a woman named Park Sunja in 1984. Oriyang operated by exploiting her followers through long hours of unpaid labor. Most of them had donated their entire personal wealth to the company, plus a considerable amount in loans. As the cult leader, Park pushed for ambitious business expansion. To bankroll its expansion, the company had to acquire more loans and attract investments. This eventually led the situation to spiral out of control. 
According to a report from the Ministry of Justice submitted to the National Assembly last year, Odiang's outstanding debt amounted to $8.9 billion or $6.7 million in the summary of 1987. I guess the $6.7 is in U.S. dollars. Still, a shit ton of money. When Park's followers physically assaulted a couple who visited one of their factories in an attempt to retrieve their money in mid-August of 1987, the situation went further south. The assault victims and a number of other creditors filed a lawsuit against Park and the company, and the police launched an investigation into the case. With the police on their tail, Park summoned about 80 of her followers to the Young Jin or yeah, Young Jin factory. There, she picked 31 of her most trusted followers to hide out with her in the attic. Among them were her three children, two sons, and a daughter aged 24, 21, and 19. Quote, Pac's husband found the one-day-old corpses of four men and 29 women when he tore down the ceiling of an attic over the dining hall. The bodies were in three groups. Scattered around the bodies were toilet papers and rubber gloves, end quote. Police at the time suspected Park had forced her followers to take poison before strangling them and killing herself. Stupid, I'm not going to let you get the chance. Though they are not ruling out the possibility that some of the victims were, quote, persuaded to commit suicide by voluntarily taking a toxicant, end quote. The shocking incident left a bitter aftertaste for many and rumors for an unknown third party involvement lingered for many years that followed. Some suspected that the military dictatorship led by Chung Du Hwan may have been involved in the mass murder suicide in some way. Others believe that Park had links to other religious groups, but even with three separate investigations, the police couldn't find evidence to prove any of these theories. I like to call this scenario the inevitable end when the cult leaders feel themselves trapped against the wall to maintain their last vestiges of power they take or compel their followers to take their own lives so that so that they themselves when they take their lives their life they they died having never lost the delusion of their megalomania and so this woman clearly was a part of a much larger conspiracy and her part in it was discovered and then she she took her followers with her, including her own three children. And that's just, it's sad that when it comes down to it, it was an exploitation of labor for an upper class of society that was never brought to justice. That was more of a milder case of a cult Strap in because now we're going to talk about Black Jesus. Hey, baby, I shot Stephen Garase Tari was born on Manus Island in 1971. 
He studied to become a Lutheran minister at Armand or Amron Bible College in Medang, but left the school prematurely after rejecting the teachings of the Bible, leaving behind both his clothing and his belongings. I am a god, you dull creature! By rejecting God, he himself embraced the devil. Because the first rape murder accusation against Tari involves the fate of Rita Herman, who joined the cult at age 13 as a personal flower girl of the self-styled Messiah. For after he rejected the teachings of God, he himself began his own cult in the in the mountain stronghold of Matai village and continued to recruit by stealing, kidnapping, or persuading the village girls. According to accusations in October 2006, Tari and a select circle of his ex-Lutheran aides along with Bar Marhal Herman, the girl's mother and reported queen of the flower girls, took 14-year-old Rita into a private tent where she was molested by Tari. Your own mother. Yes, they deserve to die and I hope they burn in hell. Bar Marhal instructed her daughter to submit as she and her family would be blessed by Tari and would receive great gifts of material goods and wealth as reward for the ritual. After the rape, Tari killed the girl with multiple knife stabs. Bar Mahal's other daughter had been previously jailed for being one of Tari's flower girls because somehow that's her fault. Bar Mahal has denied being present at the event. The lies! There you the go, lies. bitch. The lies. I just want to point out the amount of cults in Africa are staggeringly high so once again if you think you're gonna go back to the motherland and fit in with your american black ass you got life fucked up tyree was initially captured in 2005 but escaped prior to his trial with the help of a lutheran pastor logan sapis because that's what the lord would do who had been assigned to counsel him but became converted to Tyree's cult instead. Back in the jungle, Tyree cultivated an honor guard and recruited a new crop of flower girls from the remote villages promising them blessings of wealth in exchange for them enlisting into his cult or performing as flower girls for him. The exact reason why they were called flower girls is not quite known or understood because crazy be crazy. Tyree enlisted only virgins, reportedly some as young as eight years old. Don't worry, the story does have a satisfying ending, even though entirely too many victims had to pay the price before someone did anything. 
but it goes to show how vulnerable these African girls are. I was reading or watching a documentary about women in Ghana about how they don't have certain rights and how their husbands up until very recently can do things like mutilate their genitals or their family. And it's, it's astounding that while you have us trying to fight just for equal pay, not to say that isn't important, you have girls around the the country that wouldn't even know how to begin that argument because that's just their life. About 50 of Tyree's followers, including about 30 flower girls, were rounded up in an operation in June 2006. This is pretty much a pedophilic cult because anyone else that's involved, including the women, are all taking advantage of these these girls. Those followers publicly renounced Tyree and reconciled with their churches because that's allowed escaping justice. In 2007, Tyree was captured after rival villagers traveled into his mountain stronghold at Matapi village in the Transgogol area of Madang province. One of the villagers climbed into a tree to obtain a cell phone signal and called the authorities. A team of Madang police officers consisting of Madang's Fox unit embarked on capturing Tyree. The small team was led by then police station commander Jim Namora. The officers clashed with Stephen Tyree's followers in a shootout before apprehending him. Stephen Tyree was taken to Jamba police station and was later moved to beyond. So the village finally had enough, said, okay, if the law is not going to do their job, we're going to catch him in the fucking act and call you so that you can come and take care of the problem because that's just what we have to do for you, which is sad in itself. Tyree's appearance in court was delayed due to the injuries he suffered in that assault which no one felt bad for. He appeared in court in October 2007, charged with sexual offenses. The claims of murder were never tested in court. He argued in his defense that, quote, those women were flower girls, and this was the work of the minister and permitted by the religion. And I don't know if the charges laid against me are right or wrong, end quote. What did he say? Because he had no legal representation because who the fuck would represent him? The trial was adjourned until December. He was held in Medang's Beyond Prison. But in April of 2010, it was reported that Tyree again attempted escape from custody, but was caught quickly afterwards. In October 2010, he was found guilty of only four counts of rape and sentenced to 20 years in prison which doesn't feel right. <laughs> There's a lot of countries that are like this though. Russia is one of the worst. The same with the Asian countries when it comes to the sexual assault of women, the, the, the crime and the, the punishment do not line up. On March 21st of 2013, Tyree escaped with 40 other prisoners in a mass breakout. 
from beyond prison camp. Sometimes you have to take the law into your own hands, especially when the justice system fails you. That's where vigilanteism comes into play. It's why it's such a popular genre, if not overly used. But in this case, it is heavily satisfied. Unfortunately, another life had to be lost before that justice could be served. Her name was Rose Wagam, 15. She was the last straw for men in the remote villages in eastern Papua New Guinea, where Tyree had been sheltering since escaping from prison. According to the national newspaper, following the girl's murder and the attempted murder of a 14-year-old the following day, about 80 men came together to kill him and one of his followers, of his followers, 15-year-old Mattis Agmaba. On Thursday morning, they split into three groups, one of which set upon Tyree as he was performing his morning abolitions. As the cult leader fled, he ran into a second group of villagers who killed him, but only after he had wounded two of them. Meanwhile, the third group pursued and killed Agmaba. The men tied Tyree's neck with cane ropes, dragged him to an isolated spot, and buried him in a shallow pit. The nature of his injuries was established after health and mortuary workers dug up his body. Quote, he was chopped and slashed with bush knives on both arms and legs, chest and stomach, which revealed his intestines. He was also castrated. Hey, you deserve that death, you fuckhead! This observation from Judith or Jewith Gawi, a doctor involved in the exhumation. A deserving in for the failed Lutheran pastor turned self-proclaimed black Jesus who was able to openly indulge in his sexual predator ways in the guise of religion sounding a little familiar to the Catholic Church is because it is <laughs> the difference is that a lot of people are not rising up and and actually doing something in regards to the continued assault against their their young and i would think out of out of any category children are the ones where most people tend to draw the line right and yet more and more children continue it seems to me to be the ones that always suffer the most and there's not always that outrage behind it that you even see in the u.s our last story is about the 11 aka the blackburn cult the united states witnessed an explosion of cult activity in the 1920s that today is almost inconceivable California in particular was a haven for an estimated 200,000 cultists with over 400 active cults in Southern California alone. These range from love cults that conducted ritual orgies to devil worshiping cults that branded their members with hot irons and beheaded their enemies. 
And that is a caveat, right? All cults aren't nefarious. Just ones that seem to be associated with religious contexts. Among all these, the Simi Valley's Divine Order of the Royal Arms of the Great Eleven, which is a mouthful, was considered by many to be the most extraordinary. A deaf cult, the Great Eleven was founded by May Otis Blackburn, Portland, Oregon's unheralded filmmaking pioneer, and Ruth Whalen, her luscious femme fatale daughter. The cult was so bizarre that accounts of its activities, quote, elicited expressions of amazement, end quote, from justices on the California Supreme Court in 1931 who admitted, quote, they have never heard anything so weird. Not until the nephew of oil magnate J.B. Dabney admitted he had been a member of the cult would the world at large learn of the existence of the divine order. Until detectives open a trap door in the floor of a cult couple's Venice cottage would the world be exposed to its darkest secrets. The Blackburn cult was arguably one of the strangest religious cults to have operated in Los Angeles. It was officially called Great Eleven Club and was founded in the Bunker Hill neighborhood of downtown Los Angeles by 41-year-old Matilda, as discussed earlier, and her daughter, who was 24. In 1922, Blackburn and her daughter proclaimed that the angels Gabriel and Michael had appeared to them and declared them to be the two witnesses described in the book of Revelation 11.3. The women further declared that the two angels appointed them to write a book of divine knowledge and revelation over the next few years that upon publication would be a harbinger of imminent apocalyptic events. The book initially to be titled The Seventh Trumpet of Gabriel and later changed to, quote, The Great Sixth Seal would also reveal lost measurements that pinpointed hidden riches and oil deep deposits. Blackburn later described being willingly chained to her bed for several months. When Blackburn and her daughter Ruth, self-proclaimed queens and high priestesses, began gathering followers around them, they also began siphoning money from their disciples. Surprise, surprise. I don't, you just got to be some kind of special to to declare yourself to be so confident in your self-delusion and then the people that follow i think that's the that's the part where yeah i've not met anyone that charismatic in my life ruth reported to have been an unsuccessful film actress and a dancer and they're always fucking losers with indications that this occupation was not what it seemed was said to have had no problem attracting men and had already shown talent for extracting money from them. Beat it up, nigga, catch a charge. Extra large and extra hard. Put this pussy right in your face. Swipe your nose like a credit card. They be acting like OnlyFans are a new concept. No, they're not. (laughs) 
One Blackburn follower was Clifford Dabney, a nephew of an oil magnate who turned over 50,000 in cash and assets to Blackburn, worth approximately $750,000 in 2019 money. In return, he was he was promised to be among the first to see the Blackburn's book with its loss measurements ahead of publication. Among the assets Dabney donated to Blackburn was 164 acres of land in the Santa Susana area of Simi Valley in Ventura County. Sometime later, Blackburn and her younger husband, exotically mustached Ward Sitton Blackburn, uh, proclaimed by Blackburn as the North Star of the world, led cult members to build cabins on the donated Simi Valley property where cult members would take up residence because keeping them busy doing manual labor is also how you exert dominance in said cult. They're also going to await the return of Christ, which is going to be one hell of a wait. They also constructed a temple on the property by featuring an elaborate guided throne that was reserved for Christ because he don't need to come with his own magical one. We just made one for you because we were just... (sighs) Cult members residing at the property were compelled to work at a nearby tomato packing house and turn their pay over to the Blackburns. In the evenings robed members gathered for rituals in a natural amphitheater on the property and sacrificed meals and according to some witnesses danced in the nude among other bizarre occurrences it was alleged that one cult member was placed in a hot brick oven in order to cure a malady dying as a result you stupid to be fair it cured his malady result being death four other cult members were also reported to have mysteriously disappeared including samuel rizio ruth's husband who was said to have hit her well (laughs) she's like i'll show you it was alleged that these persons had been poisoned on New Year's Day of 1925, 16-year-old cult member Willa Rose died from a severe infection as a result of a toothache. How was that their fault? What? Did they tell her she can't go to the dentist? Blackburn assured her grieving parents, also cult members, that the girl would be resurrected to life after 1,260 days had passed and her book was published. All they had to do was preserve her body for the event. The deceased girl's body was immediately placed in a bathtub to be preserved with ice, spices, and salt. Just sounds like a a way to sell chirogenics. Chirogenics? Is that what it's called? Chirogenics? To me. 14 months later, when the girl's parents moved back to Los Angeles into a home in Venice, they brought Willa's preserved body with them and placed it in a mental coffin beneath the floor of their house. Adjacent to her coffin was placed another coffin containing the sacrificed bodies of seven puppies said to represent the seven tones of the angel Gabriel's trumpet. That just sounds sad. I don't even know if I can put that on the cult. Sounds like she died and they just found a way to exploit their grief by having them uh, use her, her corpse 
and the idea of resurrection. By 1929, Dabney and some other Blackburn followers lost patience for the completion of the Blackburn's book, because, yeah, when you put shit on a time schedule, <laughs> it needs to be produced and promised apocalyptic events. They filed charges of fraud and theft against Blackburn for as much as $200,000, approximately $3 million in 2000, $2019. As allegations also emerged of unreported deaths and disappearances, police expanded their interests, leading to the discovery of the mummified body of Willa Rhodes beneath her parents' Venice home. It could not be determined that Willa had died from anything other than natural causes. However, the police were unable to uncover any viable evidence regarding the disappearances of the four missing cult members, including Ruth's husband. Prosecutors also could not substantiate the allegations of a cult member's death from being baked in an oven. Nevertheless, in 1930, Blackburn was convicted of 8 out of 15 counts of grand theft. She remained out of jail on bail pending appeals. In 1931, the California Supreme Court threw out her conviction, ruling that evidence using her conviction, although clearly demonstrating unconventional and even possibly a Offensive religious practices failed to establish that she did not sincerely believe in her pronouncements and promises that she did not take money from followers in good faith. Furthermore, the high court ruled that the victims appeared to be of sound mind when they willingly accepted Blackburn's teachings. Yeah, you can't name, you can't yell fraud when you think that you're getting something in exchange. You think these people can tell the future and you invested in that idea. Now you're right now other than the disappearance like clearly she killed her husband and maybe some other people right now the 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 basis of their cult is on this idea that you think that they know more than everyone else and if you choose to believe that that's on you it's like some people get a call and it's like oh yeah i'm i'm dwayne johnson also need five thousand dollars well if you fall for that that's on you unfortunately that's not on the person that's pushing the con that's from you on choosing to believe in the delusion rather in reality and we need to stop being lenient on that idea because the victimology or the victim trend is just way too high right now some ownership would be nice at worst the victims suffer from their own bad judgment Exactly. The court cautioned that the approach used to prosecute the specific charges in the Blackburn case was a dangerous encroachment on religious freedom as protected under the U.S. Constitution. As a result, Blackburn was exonerated, but the publicity and scandal around her case decimated her following. In 1936, she finally published a book titled The Origin of God. In 1959, she died in Los Angeles. So that wasn't quite as insidiously horrid as our second story was. I didn't want to end on a particularly nasty note with the worst of them. Uh, So I decided to kind of split them up between uh, one that was due to uh, labor, one based solely on a megalomaniac and another one based on a, a trending idea that involved 
some possible murder but also brought to attention the idea that sometimes your own actions and the things that happen to you are not a result of being swindled or being misled it's your choice to believe in something that doesn't exist in the idea or with the exchange of a reward in the end and that is an excess and it in a sense in a sense <laughs> really by a self-interest and that's always bothered me about any type of religious idea is that there's a price to be paid and that payment is truly in exchange for something better later down the line and if it's truly selflessness then there wouldn't have to be uh, a uh, something to be rewarded in the end if, if that makes sense probably not because the gummy's kicking in <laughs> but that is where we're going to leave it for this week next week we are going to talk about the black executioner because his story is wild and we'll discuss more other uh, unknown people in history with crazy stories that are entertaining if you have any ideas or concepts or feedback blackercouch at gmail.com you can find this podcast wherever good podcasts can be found. Go down to the rating section, drop some stars, leave a review. My social media will be there as well. Like, share, subscribe. Until next time, peace, hair grease, and blacker magic.